want to share a sermon tonight that I actually wrote a year ago, which is interesting because often I, I, I try to write something that I feel God is saying at the moment, at that moment, and uh, I wrote this sermon almost a year ago, driving in a car to George. Oh, I wouldn't write it while I was driving, but I wrote it <laughs> on my thinking about it, and I wrote it at that time, and it was a time when um, Benji was diagnosed with leukemia, and uh, yeah, I didn't get to preach it, but uh, God is good and he knows. And uh, since then, I've been wanting to preach it. I've always had it, you always have a back pocket sermon going, I need to preach the sermon, God. And he's like, no, it's not the right time. It's not the right time. It's not the right time. I'm like, ah, oh, I'm never going to preach the sermon. I think it's really good. Uh, and then this week, I just felt God say, you need to preach the sermon this week. So, and he is good. And I do feel it's a message for us as a church, as a congregation. And I pray that it stirs you. I pray that it... Uh, yeah, it really speaks to you as much as it spoke to me. So, uh, let's get into it. I'd like to work through uh, three points, and the title of the sermon is uh, The Same, The Self, and The Savior. Okay, so Wayne's loving it because it's a good Baptist three-pointer. But let me start from my passage of Scripture and then get into to my sermon. Philippians 2, 1-11 says this, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself. Just think about that for a minute. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow on heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Sorry. <laughs> There's so much in that scripture to think through. And I just posted on social media the last part about Jesus and his humility of emptying himself and taking on the form of a man and dying on the cross for us. So my first point, the same, it says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and, and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord, and of one mind. So Paul's saying in light of what Christ has done, in light of this incredible sacrifice, he says to the church, be of the same mind and the same love, and one accord, and one mind, which is strong language. He's not just saying, well, kind of just get along, guys. It'll be cool. He's going, no, same, one accord, one mind. 
And as I was reading this passage initially, I was thinking, same. You see, and what hit me was same is not similar. So why do I raise it? Because I think often we confuse or conflate the two concepts. As South Africans, we love things like just now, 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 and soon, soon. <laughs> Which is not a definitive thing. It's like, well, kind of maybe sometime in the day. And it's similar to now, but it's not now. And I think we can do that with these two concepts of same and similar. This is what same means. Same means identical and no different. And similar means has a resemblance in appearance without being identical. And I think Paul is using this language because he's wanting to drive home this thing of sameness, uniformity, and oneness because it promotes unity in the body of Christ. So same in what? You might go, well, we can be the same. Same in what? Well, I'd say, well, definitely same in our convictions and belief on what the gospel is and who Jesus is. It's very hard if we're sitting in a, in, in a room together and going, well, I, I, I kind of believe similar to you about Jesus. There's a few minor differences. Well, either we believe the same about Jesus, that he was God, or we don't. So that's one. In our doctrine and theology, are we the same? Yes, we can have small, maybe minor differences, but are we the same, the same mind? Are we moving forward in the same direction with what we believe? And then, probably more difficult, is are we of the same mind in loving and living with each other? I, I, I read a commentary about this. I love this. It says, it says about this passage, living in one another. Then it says, this, I mean, this is old English, so bear with me. Each sinking his individuality in the enthusiasm of a common love. It's beautiful there. Let's say it again. It's, it's worth repeating. <laughs> it says, living in one another. And then I love this. Each sinking his individuality. So sinking our individuality in the enthusiasm of a common love. So we're so excited about a common love, a common oneness of spirit and mind and purpose that we are willing to sink, shipwreck, destroy, cast down our individuality, which is so countercultural to culture. But don't worry, it's going to get more prescriptive. <laughs> Similar is not the same. It's one word, but I think, I think it's a massive difference. I think it can be a little bit subtle. It's, it's almost like with different, you kind of get it. It's like, we're not the same, we're different. Okay, so you're going that way, I'm going this way, we're not the same. Whereas I think similar is a little bit more subtle. Let me give an illustration. We, how can I love mountain climbing? Well, no, hiking. <laughs> mountain climbing is maybe a bit too far. We like... Hiking. Yes, my wife's name is Hiker. We get the irony of that, but anyway. <laughs> and we like going into the mountains. And then say, say, for instance, I say, church, we are going to go for a hike on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, season will come. But let's say, for instance, everyone came. 
It'd be amazing. Yeah. And then we get to the mountain, then we, we get out our compass. Well, I get out my, I mean, no one uses compass. I get out my phone with my, my app, and I'm getting my old trails app, which I subscribe to. And I'm saying, guys, we are going in the same direction. We are going north. I don't know what that means on the mountain. We're going north. We're going that way. And so we all head off north. And so as a congregation, this, this concept applies because it's this thing of like, once we've set course and direction, we're all going to go that way. And I think with the conference coming up now, many of us are going to that conference, and if you can't make it, we can watch stuff online, hopefully afterwards. But at the conference, a lot of direction is set. And after the conference, we all come back and we go, what was the direction that was set at the conference? And then we don't go, well, I'm going to go in a similar direction. We go, no, we're all going to go in the same direction. Because that is the direction that has been set. Does that make sense? So that is going in the same direction, and I used the example of an eight-point compass. Don't ask me what all the points are, because I don't know off by hand. But actually, similar is more like this. Similar doesn't look at an eight-point compass, it looks at a 16, a 32, or a 128-point compass. And it says, well, because I'm an individual, because culture tells me I can be liberated from the group, I've decided that I like your general direction, but on my own terms. So the group is going south, but actually I think I might go south-southwest. Or maybe south by west, which is apparently different. Or any number of directions in between south and west. And so it's a similar, because it sounds similar, south, but it's not the same. And I, I, I would imagine, Carl, you've been on boats. I would imagine if you're on a ship and you're going, we're heading south, and then another ship comes along and says, well, I'm going to head southwest. I'd be very hard-pressed to think you're going to end up at exactly the same destination. Is that fair enough? Okay. You might end up on the same continent, if you're lucky. And so that is the importance of being of the same mind, of heading in the same direction together. You don't want, we don't want to, some of us going, we're heading this way, and some of us are going, well, I'm going to head south, or maybe even going, I'm just going north, I don't actually care where you're going, I'm going my own way. And so you get a group of people going south, and then there's one maybe south by southwest, or south this, or south that, and they're kind of scattered around, and they've missed out on what's happening in the main direction. And I think Paul is warning us against that. Let me go one step further. I told you it's going to get more direct. 1 Corinthians 1.10, which is by the same author, Paul. Paul says to you, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no division among you. Fair enough. But that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. So, so same, we can go, yeah, same. It's very hard to get away from perfectly united in mind and thought. Now, do you see how seriously this thing of unity is to the church? And how serious Paul is about emphasizing this thing of, guys, are we of the same mind? Are we going in the same direction? Or are we deciding to pull another way? So it's not just Paul who emphasizes this. We, we love Peter. So 1 Peter 3.8 says, Finally, all of you, 
have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Hopefully I've made my point clear. Is anyone confused? <laughs> so corporate unity is important as a church and as a body. And we need to guard that unity jealously, fiercely. Because if we divide it, we're not going to go anywhere. But as much as corporate unity is important, individual unity is important. So later on in that letter in Philippians, Paul writes to um, two people in the church. And he, I, 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 he addresses them and he says, I plead with you, Euodia. And we have a thing with names in the church. Anyway, I won't go there now. I plead with you, Euodia, and I plead with you, Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. So we get in some sense that there's been a division here, that these two people are fighting. And because they're fighting and they're in the church, they are, there's a disunity amongst these people. And if there's a disunity amongst two people in the church, then there's going to be a disunity in the church. Because I'll, it's, eventually it's going to come out, well, I think this person's right, or I think that person's right. And the longer you leave it, you end up with literally like this. One, pe one person's people are on that side, and one person's people are on that side. That is a divided church. That church is in trouble. Because two people couldn't agree. An offense brings disunity. Ah, I was thinking about this, this whole thing of offense. Like, and obviously this has happened in this church. But there's a, there's a, there's a saying going, you take offense. What does it mean? It means offense is there. And you can decide at that point whether you're going to take that thing and own it or you're going to leave it. Well, but let's say because this never happens in church, we know that, no one here takes offense, so I'm speaking hypothetically, obviously. But what if someone has taken offense in the church? Well, it happened in the church in Philippi, so let's... Let's say it could happen in our church. So someone has taken offense. What do we do? We all know that feeling of, I'm so offended with that person. I'm angry with them. Unless you're a saint and you've never been there. We've all been there. I'm so angry with that person. What do we do? I think this is what we do. We go, what does my anger at this person mean for the unity of the body I belong to? Before you think of yourself, you're thinking of being of same mind and, and same Love. And you're going, okay, so this could potentially bring a division in the church and the body that my family, what I do. Well, Matthew 18 says, go to that person. Try resolve it. In private. Don't speak to anyone. And if you can't, then take two or more witnesses. Again, try resolve it. Try win your brother back. Try find unity. so important. I was, I was actually saying to Heike, and maybe the Lord will test me on this, and I shouldn't say it, but I will. I honestly can't remember the last time I was offended at someone. And I don't mean that as a, like a humble brag. I'm like, oh, I'm, so, I'm so holy. Like, <laughs> you can say whatever you want to me, I won't be offended. No, like, I don't want to test that hypothesis. But I, I really can't remember the last time I was really offended with someone. Because I, I look at that and I go, in light of what Christ has done for me, how can I possibly hold an offense against anyone? 
that I was the most offensive thing to Christ and yet he died for me. Now think of scriptures like love covers a multitude of sins and we are to think of others more highly than ourselves. And I'm just like, I need to make right if, I may, if there's a wrong between us. And so we do see, unfortunately, times where conflict does arise in the church and we know that a little leaven will work its way through the whole batch and we need to be careful of that. We need to be quick to find unity, corporately but individually. And we know this because we know God loves unity. Psalm 133, 1 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony, for there the Lord has bestowed the blessing of life forevermore. Sameness and oneness create a uniformity in belief and purpose, which I believe creates momentum and movement. It's very hard to move together as one if there's no uniformity in belief and purpose. I don't think you're going to move very far. Maybe you move incrementally a little bit, and that's... And this is what that word uniform means. I always wondered, because we all walk... Do kids still wear uniforms in school? Yeah. Just shows how old I am. I'm like, what? I went to a school where we used to wear uniforms and we used to wear a little um, straw hat. It was called a boater. It was very smart. <laughs> and we had to wear it when we left the school, otherwise we got in trouble. And yeah, it's ridiculous. But uniform means remaining the same in all cases and at all times. And so, but let me just make this clear. I think this is important, though, because you, you, you say things like uniform and oneness and together, and then you go, well, is this a forced sameness? Because that's just a dictatorship. You see these guys on TV, and they're, they're marching, and they're all of the same uniform, and they're all marching in time, and it's cool, but in some sense, they have to be there. That's a forced oneness or unity. They're in the army, I get it, like it's a forced thing. And there's got to be something, I believe, to, we have to want oneness and unity. It has to be our own conviction. And we have to then give ourselves freely to that group and go, I'm giving myself to the oneness and sameness. I'm not doing it because you told me to or because I have to. Does that make sense? Okay, so, unity, the same, oneness, a full accord. And then Paul goes on to say this. He says, um, as much as there must be unity, he talks about the opposite of sameness, which is the self. Sure, now things didn't get real, eh? <laughs> you see, being of one mind and of one heart is wonderful in the church setting, but in the world it is compromised, and to modern thinking it is compromised. You can't be the same, you need to be different, you need to be an individual. Like, I've got nothing wrong against individuality. Okay, please don't all come in the same uniform next week, that would just be weird. Okay, we, we have individuality, we are individuals. In some sense, but I think it becomes a problem when we enforce our individuality and go, I will not do what you tell me to do because I'm an individual, my own person. And so in, in this self analogy, they go, well, thanks for your compass. I'm just going to, and I'm just going to do whatever I want. And I don't need a compass. I'm just going to wander around because I'm my own person and I'm going to figure it out. And thanks for that. But actually, I'm of a different mind. And that mind is all about me. 
So the self, it says this, it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So quite simply, selfish ambition and conceit, and we've spoken about this, say, I'm going north, you're going south. I don't like your vision. I've got my own vision of the way things should be. And when there's two visions, there's division. I know you've heard that one before. (laughs) In fact, the word division means to forcibly pull something apart. This is not just something that happens by chance or accident. This is a a thing of, I'm going to now cause harm and pull this thing apart. Division. Why? Because of my interest. Self. And so we think of things like self and pride and and healthy ambition. And I think those are some of the most dangerous things for the church. And when you go, well, how dangerous is selfish ambition? Like, it's good to be ambitious. And yes, it is. I would say to, if you're in the workplace, it's good to have ambition. I would be reluctant to say to someone, well, go to the job but have no ambition. And then just, I guess, work it out and see what happens. No, I think you need to be ambitious. I need to, in a workplace, you need to work forward and, and do it as long as your motives are right. But he's talking about selfish ambition within the realms of the church, which means in the church you are promoting yourself and you are ambitious to promote yourself within the life of the church. Well, you say it's just a bit of self-promotion. You know, what's the harm in that? Isn't it good that I want people to see me and see what I do? (laughs) Well, it is good if your intentions are right. But Galatians 5.19 says this. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. So we go through this list. Sexual immorality, bad. Moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery. These things are bad. This is bad. Okay, do we all get that? Hopefully as Christians, we're like, this is bad. (laughs) hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition. What is that doing in that list? Dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I tell you, and this is the important part, I tell you about these things in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. (laughs) Yes, like, oh my God, Jesus, take all my ambition away. (laughs) Like, don't exalt me. I want to be nothing in your kingdom until you exalt me. Jesus, I don't want to even be seen unless you are promoting me. I don't, just please, Jesus, because I want to inherit your kingdom the right way. I don't want to take your kingdom and think I'm moving it forward and, and grabbing at stuff. And you're going, actually, you're falling into this. You need to be very careful right now. You're not going to inherit anything. You think you're inheriting something, you're inheriting nothing. And I love it because Paul says, uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition, which means... Don't even join the coffee and tea ministry if your ambition is to take that thing over. Now, Vanessa is the only person in our coffee and tea ministry, so if you join it, she's going to know very quickly. Have you resigned? 
<laughs> it's the Lord's conviction. No, I'm joking. <laughs> because you will join the coffee and tea table. Then you'll, the first thing you'll do is you'll point out every fault that Vanessa makes. Vanessa's not here on time. The water's only lukewarm. The coffee's not good enough. Those tea bags. Ah, is it even robots? I don't even know. Long life milk. And then what do you do? You go, well, Vanessa, guys, Vanessa, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make this thing amazing. Look at me. Affirm me. Affirm my ministry. Leadership, look at me. I'll explain from a personal example of of how I went through that process, because I'm not telling you, I'm telling myself. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. So there's contrast between ambition and humility. So ambition says, I am the best. And humility says, I'll try my best. Ambition says, pick me. Humility says, pick the best person. It's like, ugh. If you're an ambitious person, the last thing you want to say is like, pick the best person. Because obviously you know it's you. But it's not. (laughs) Ambition says, look at me. Humility says, look at Christ's work within me. You see the difference? Ambition is me, me, me. Humility is we, we, we. (laughs) That sounds funny. So let me tell you, so I'm, I'm telling you all not to do this and because, of course, I've never done it because my path to eldership was perfect and I was a model Christian. <laughs> I just submitted to my elders and I was like, God, just work in my heart because I love them so much and, just, and just, just thank you for these men. No, I had selfish ambition in my heart from a place of brokenness, of needing to be affirmed by other men. And so that manifested itself in, I need to be affirmed by other men. You're not affirming me. Ambition, I'm going to take it. And so I went to my elder often, and he's actually coming down next week. And I've repented many times because we're good friends. But I would sit with him with a list of things going, you do this wrong. You do this wrong. You do that. And the poor guy's like, oh, my God. You're, like, you're leading a calm. Like, what? what? Like, are you even in leadership? And he would sit there and go, okay, all right. Like, how's it going? Okay. Let's pray. <laughs> I'd get more angry. I'm like, do you not see who I am? I'm your next elder. <laughs> Literally, I was so deceived. This ambition that clouded my judgment. And so I'm going, there's no one else in the church who could possibly be an elder. I'm definitely the next guy. And it doesn't matter. I'm going to take this thing. I'm going to promote myself until he sees me. And he did, does see me. And then God goes, yeah, okay, Dylan, thanks for that. But actually, I'm going to send someone else to your church. And so someone else joins the church. He's an, he isn't an elder, but he comes from another Joshian congregation. I'm like, this is competition. <laughs> right? Because that's what you do when you're ambitious. Everyone is the enemy. And so God, and then in the next, in the, literally in a month's time, he's made an elder. I'm like, oh, my word. Like, Jesus, what is going on? And I'm seething inside. I'm like, this is not right. Okay, all right, Jesus, okay. Next time. We still need more elders. <laughs> and then this other guy comes from nowhere, from another church. He came from the Methodist church. I was like, what? Like, <laughs> like he's not even part of our denomination. And within months, he's an elder. 
I'm like, okay, okay, Jesus, I think you're trying to tell me something here. I think I have selfish ambition in my heart. And I went to, I went to my elder, and I was like, I, I need to repent. I said to him, I will not speak of, an el- of being an elder anymore in the life of this church. And I will not exalt myself until I feel God has called me or he is exalting me. Please know that. I will, and for a year, I said nothing. I did nothing. I did what I was supposed to do. I re- led the com. I didn't promote myself. I didn't do anything. I killed ambition inside of me. Because you know what? If I hadn't killed ambition then, being an elder wouldn't have been enough. Being a lead elder wouldn't have been enough. It would never have been enough. Because ambition is like, this is not enough. You need to be who those guys are. Why aren't you preaching at the 412 conference? Promote yourself. And that's what it does. And you sit there going like, these guys are good, but I'm better. And so we need to be killing ambition and choosing humility. It says this in 1 Peter 5. It says, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And don't don't hear me wrong. It's a good thing to aspire to leadership in the church okay so please we need to we need to make sure like if someone's aspiring to be an elder it's not a bad thing it's a good thing scripture is a good thing it's just what is your motive what is your heart for it do you just want to be recognized do you want people to see you if that's your if that's your motive no but if your motive is to love the body of christ to serve it to lay yourself down for it of course god delights in that okay i hope i balanced that because everyone's gonna be like i'm not doing anything anymore Anything I do, Dylan's going to be judging me, like, <laughs> can I even message him anymore? Like, does he think I'm trying to, anyway, whatever, it's silly. <laughs> you can message me, please, I'd love you to. So, say no to yourself. Self-reliance, self-absorbed, self-righteous, selfishness, selfish gain. And say yes to same, same mind, same heart, same goal, same vision. And then we go, well, thanks, that was a great moral lesson, Paul. We get it. I, I hear what you're trying to say. It's a great teaching. And then Paul goes one step further, and he shows us the example of Christ in all of this. And so we don't just have to think or make up what this should look like. Paul shows us what it's supposed to look like and what it does look like. And my last point is the Savior. And it says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God had highly, has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Have this mind among yourselves, this mind of Christ and what he's modeled. I, I was in worship today, 
and as I was thinking through this passage and processing it, I just realized again how unlike him I really am and how much I and we need his grace. And he is gracious and kind. And so all grasping and ambition becomes foolishness when we read how willingly he poured himself out for us. This example that he sets is one of going lower and lower, not exalting ourselves, but waiting for God to exalt us. And that is the difference. Put on a mind, and a, put on, on this mind, adopt this posture, and long for humility. Now, when I was, when I was younger, I, I was really into punk rock. Is anyone here into punk rock? Okay, okay. All right, awesome. And then I was also into hardcore. Does anyone know hardcore? No, I was really into hardcore. Okay, right. <laughs> so I played in some hardcore bands. Yeah, I played in some hardcore bands. I was like, Woo. I, was like <laughs> I was like, played. I was like, straight edge. I was like, yeah, hardcore is life. And then you reach like 25, you're like, no, it's not. But anyway, <laughs> I was really into punk and hardcore and the straight edge scene. And then um, my point is, there's another type of music called post-hardcore, and that's getting a little bit more genre-specific. But, uh, and then there was a band that I used to listen to. I'm getting to the point, finally. I was just trying to show you how cool I was when I was younger. But I'm getting to the point, <laughs> and how, my, how broad my knowledge of music is. But uh, there, was a, there was a band which is more post-hardcore called uh, My Epic, they're a Christian band. Um, and they wrote this song called Lower Still. You, I don't know if anyone's heard it. It's a fantastic song. Yeah, Tim, I knew Tim would have heard it. <laughs> But it's a song that's written about this passage. And uh, I thought I would actually just read the lyrics to you. I'll read the lyrics to you. (laughs) No, I won't sing it. (laughs) Guys, don't kill the moment. (laughs) Okay, but I I want you to listen. And actually, you can maybe just close your eyes, actually. Um... But, but it's something, it's, it's a something of this posture that Christ adopts of going lower and what he models to us actually in the church. It's like, it's like this thing of like, do we go lower or are we promoting ourselves and going higher? Are we of one mind or the same mind or are we of a similar mind? When he's calling us to be of the same mind. And, the, and, and you, you get it when you see Christ's humility. When you just see his humility, you're like, oh my word, of course it's the same. Of course it's a full accord. Of, of course, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Of course. So, here we go. It says, look, he's covered in dirt. The blood of his mother has mixed with the earth, and she's just a child who's throbbing in pain. From the terror of birth by the light of a cave... Now they've laid that small baby where creatures come to eat, like a meal for the swine, who have no clue that he is still holding together the world that they see. They don't know just how low he has to go. Lower still, look now, he's kneeling, he's washing their feet. Though they're all filthy fishermen, traitors and thieves. Now he's pouring his heart out. And they're falling asleep. But he has to go lower still. 
There is great love to show. Hands to the plow, further down now, blood must flow. All these steps are personal. All his shame is ransom. Oh, do you see? Oh, do you see just how low he has come? Do you see it now? No one takes it from him, but he freely gives away. Beat in his face. Tear the skin off his back, lower still. Strip off his clothes. Make him crawl through the streets, lower still. Hang him like meat. On a criminal's tree. Lower still. Bury his corpse in the earth. Like a seed. Like a seed. Lower still. Lower still. God comes to earth as a man and he empties himself and in all humility he gives himself for us and we want to be individuals it says the earth explodes she cannot hold him and all within is placed beneath him and death itself no longer reigns it cannot keep the ones he gave himself to save And as the universe shatters, the darkness dissolves. He alone will be honored. We will bathe in his splendor. As all heads bow, lower still. All heads bow, lower still. He did not count equality something to be grasped. Emptied himself, became a servant, humbled himself, obedient to the point of death. Jesus, our Savior and King, did this for us. And he asks us to do it for each other. (laughs) Is everything we do in humility? Are we wanting to be of one mind? Does our heart burn to be of one accord and to share in the same mind? Are we exalting ourselves or exalting him? And as this church grows, I believe the requirement for everyone is to go lower still. To count others more significant than ourselves. To put off any pride or ambition as positions become available and need to be filled in the life of the church. To be united and in one mind, one love, one spirit. Romans 12.10 says this, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Let me pray. No, actually, just, I also wanted to ask a few people if, um, yeah, I'll do that now. But God, uh, as, we, as we read these things, we, we do read them soberly. But God, it also fills us with great joy to see uh, the sacrifice and the price you paid for us, God. That we could be called sons and daughters. 
And God, we thank you for that, Jesus. Let us never forget the great price that you paid. And as much as we, yeah, there's a heavier tone maybe to this message, but God, there, there's redemption, Father God. That you are working in each one of our lives, Lord, and maybe pointing things out and showing us, but it's for our benefit and for the benefit of your body that we would move forward, Father God, that we would see people saved, that your gospel would be shared, Father God, your kingdom would be advanced, Father God. Pray that that would be the reason why we do it, Father God. And I, I want to, while our heads are bowed, I actually want to ask something which is quite bold and I know probably as a pastor, maybe, oh, maybe I shouldn't because it's going to create work. But if there is an offense in your heart towards anyone in this congregation, I pray that you would reconcile and I pray that you would do it soon. In fact, I pray that you would do it today. Or if you need prayer, if there's something in your heart or an offense in your heart that you need prayer for, I pray that you would do that as well. Maybe you need to repent of holding something against someone else in the congregation. And I'm speaking very specifically about the congregation. I realize all of us at some point have had an offense against someone in our lives. But I do pray, maybe Tim can come and play some music, but I do pray that you would, you would find space to do that. If you are bold enough to approach that person in the congregation, then please do. But if not, I pray that you would reach out to them in the week and that we would find unity again as a body. And I do pray that as a church, we would pray for unity and sameness. That uh, there wouldn't be disunity in the body. And that you would move forward. I love this quote. It says, There is no limit to what can be accomplished if nobody cares who gets the credit. <laughs> it's not about us, ultimately. It's about Christ and his church. We, we have been saved by grace through faith and we are so thankful for that but we are here to achieve a purpose for his body. And then I would say lastly and probably most importantly is that I don't know everyone here but I, I, I don't know everyone here actually. And the Bible says that today is the day of salvation and that word today means it's a, there's, a, there's a period of time where Christ extends grace to you for salvation and he might do it once and he might do it again. But as a minister of the gospel, my, my duty is to say, well, today, why wait when Christ has offered salvation? And what does that mean that Christ has offered salvation? It means that through the sin of Adam, we receive sin and we are guilty before him. And even in ourselves, we do sin probably daily and we, we need grace. And the only way we can get grace and forgiveness is because Christ came 2,000 years ago and died on the cross, as we read now, to forgive us of our sins. And so we come to him and we go, Jesus, I, I realize I'm, I'm not following you and I haven't received your grace. And by not receiving his grace, it means that you will be separated from him for eternity 
And Christ's heart is to reach to you today and go, there's no reason to be separated from me if you receive my forgiveness. If you ask for forgiveness and repent of the sins or and say, please God, receive me, he will. I think, um, let, me, let me just be real. I think sometimes as Christians, we, we share this message and we all know it. We've all, we've all heard the gospel shared many times. And maybe we've just got used to it. And maybe that's what it is. But do we understand the seriousness of it? I mean, do we really understand the seriousness of it? That if people don't find forgiveness in Christ and repent of their sins, that they will spend eternity in hell. I don't know if it gets more serious than that. But Christ is merciful and gracious and he says, I don't want you to spend eternity away from me. And he offers you the free gift of life, eternal life, which means that you will spend eternity with Christ. Christ. 